Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 104. So my friends, this week I am tackling the second volume of Crimson Rain. So the way I do things is I'm tackling the mini-series of Crimson Rain and all the associated crossover comics, which are Bounty Hunters, Doctor Aphra, Darth Vader, and Star Wars. So I tackled the first volume of this back in episode 102, so go listen to that if you haven't already. And in addition to that, if you haven't listened to the War of the Bounty Hunters episodes that I've done or read the War of the Bounty Hunters comics, they serve as sort of a prequel to this. So there's three main crossover events in modern Star Wars as of 2020. You've got War of the Bounty Hunters was the first one. This is Crimson Reign. And then Hidden Empire comes out, I think, October time. So if you want to check out the War of the Bounty Hunters episodes, start with episode 60. If you're listening on YouTube, you can just go to the War of the Bounty Hunters playlist. And if you want to listen to the episode I did, which kind of closes the gaps between the end of War of the Bounty Hunters and the start of Crimson Reign, that'll be in the Crimson Reign Prelude, which was in episode 97 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, or in the Crimson Reign playlist on YouTube. But before we delve into anything further, I will quickly say, if you haven't joined us before, this is a show where I go through each of the individual comics of a certain event or volume or trade paperback, and I go through them, talk about the plot details, so I give yourselves some of the plot so you understand what's going on in the Star Wars canon without having to pick up the comics themselves. And along the way, I talk about certain connections to other content, species or characters or events that crop up that you may want a little bit more information on or a little reminder. So this is perfect for anyone who's reading the comics at the moment and wants to kind a guide, like an extended version, if you will. Or if you've never picked up a single Star Wars comic in your life, but you want to have some more information on what's going on in the canon world, then this is a great way to listen through because I do give you quite a bit of information. Obviously, with that in mind, there will be spoilers, so be aware of that. So let's delve into things. So I've already given a bit of background ramble about Crimson Rain and War of the Bounty Hunters. So the first in these batch of comics is Bounty Hunters number 20. So the reading order for these is going to be Bounty Hunters 20, Doctor Aphra 18, Crimson Reign 2, Darth Vader 20, and Star Wars 21. And for Aphra, Vader, and Star Wars, these are the 2020 runs of these comics because they do have either one or two prior runs of them as well from 2015 or 2017. Well, Doctor Aphra's 2016. So prior runs have been with these comics aside from Bounty Hunters, which is its own thing. But with that ramble in mind, let's delve into the first one. So it is Bounty Hunters number 20. It's written by Ethan Sachs. The artist is Paolo Villanelli and the colour artist is Brian Valenza. It was released January 12th, 2022 and the trade paperback of the Bounty Hunters Crimson Rain comics should be released October 25th, 2022. I will note as well that Paolo Villanelli has been a guest on my show, Genuine Chit Chat. If you're listening on YouTube, you can literally click on the Star Wars Conversations playlist and it'll be right there, my video conversation with Paolo Villanelli. So if you want to find that out, just type in Genuine Chit Chat Paolo in any podcast player and you will be able to listen to me speak with the prolific artist about him being an artist for Star Wars and lots of other cool things as well. But for Bounty Hunters number 20, we've got to start things off with The Crawl. So... 
In their effort to save Cadalia, the young heir of two warring crime syndicates, the bounty hunters must find Zuckus' partner for LOM. The former protocol droid turned mercenary is capable of slicing thousands of communications across the galaxy for clues to Cadalia's whereabouts. But during the events of War of the Bounty Hunters, 4LOM was rebuilt and reprogrammed to kill Zuckus. Can the Bounty Hunters survive an encounter with this monstrous killing machine in time to bring peace to an underworld that's destroying itself? That's the whole crawl. Feels like there should be another line there. But yes, this is obviously referring to part of the War of the Bounty Hunters, which I mentioned prior. And the comic in question is the 4LOM and Zuckus War of the Bounty Hunters companion comic. Now, I will from here be referring to 4LOM as 4LOM. That's how it's written phonetically. And that's just how I've always said his name. So apologies for any confusion. 4LOM, 4LOM, same thing. And if you want to listen to the episode of Comics in Canon where I spoke about the Forlom and Zuckers comic, that was episode 72, which is the third batch of War of the Bounty Hunters. So let's delve into the plot. So you've got Toonga, Losha, Bosk, Tasu Leech, and Zuckus in the wreck belt of Lotho Minor. So it's like an asteroid belt, but it's made of ship wreckages, kind of making a faux asteroid belt. And Lotho Minor is first seen in the Clone Wars episode Brothers. It's where Maul is found after his encounter with Kenobi years and years later, where he's just completely lost his mind. And interestingly enough, in the last episode of Comics in Canon, so episode 103, in the Return to Vader's Castle anthology series, the first comic in that is actually The Horned Devil, which is all about Darth Maul and Lotho Minor. So fun connections to recent episodes I've done, so check that out if you haven't already. But the crew are searching for Forlom, who obviously wants to kill Zuckus, as was mentioned in the crawl. They manage to find a ship which is a bit newer than some of the other ships and does seem to have working systems like life support and things, so they go and search. They can't find Forlom, but the ship is pretty massive, so they all decide to split up to keep searching. And as they're going around, they keep finding mutilated corpses of the crew members, which is obviously unnerving some of them, especially as one of them is meant to look a lot like Zuckus, like he's got a rebreather mask, the, he's like a pumpkin for his head, but very well drawn, so kudos to Paolo Villanelli. So while this is going on, you've got Vakura of the Unbroken Clan. She's heading to the Clan Palace on Corellia, and she speaks with the leader. Now, the leader has hid in the tower since the death of his daughter. Now, his daughter was Cadalia's mother, so we know all about her from the prior issues of Bounty Hunters, so I'm not going to delve into all of the Cadalia history, so go check out those prior episodes if you want more information on that. But this guy is basically a broken man, and he's willing to let the clan completely fall apart when he dies. He even says to Vakura, when I die, that's the end of the bloodline, that's the end of the leaders of the unbroken clan so vakura obviously is not happy about this and starts to argue with him and question his authority and things and so he calls vakura a street rat and as this is going on you hear some noise on the comms and it shows that troops in the unbroken clan who are loyal to vakura have started killing the bodyguards of the leader of the unbroken clan so he reiterates he's the leader of the bloodline she disagrees and then kills him with this relic that she's got the relic was given to her in the prior issue by kira it might have been in crimson rain but i think it was in uh, bounty hunters 19 but as she kills him she calls him father saying things like she was more of a daughter to him than his actual daughter ever was and she then communicates to crimson dawn saying that she is ready for what they need because I think the exchange was Kira gave her this blade, which was like an ancient relic that's meant to show who the true leader of the Unbroken Clan was. You know, that sort of thing that a lot of syndicates believe in. And I think in exchange, she was going to do something for Crimson Dawn. So it goes back to the bounty hunters themselves. You've got Zuckus, and he manages to find Forlom. He tries talking to Forlom, but Forlom is just having none of it and is continuously trying to attack him and kill him. While this is going on, Zuckus is obviously trying to evade Forlom, trying not really to hurt him. And the crew hear all the noise and then join in. 
Now, Fallom at this point looks like I've written down a giant General Grievous-like monster. So Fallom was a protocol droid, so it just kind of looked a bit like 3PO, but with a more bug-like head because the LOM units were meant to be what protocol droids are to humans as to what they are to Zuckus's species, which are Gand. So they kind of have bug eyes and things, but you saw them in Empire Strikes Back anyway, Zuckus and uh, Forlom, so look it up if you're unfamiliar. So it's that head, but the body has got like eight or ten arms. They're all big arms made out of metal. The middle part is like a big spider body, so it kind of looks like a giant General Grievous spider monster with the face of Forlom, and the body is like the size of a car. So yeah, absolutely terrifying, but these bounty hunters are not that scared, and nor is Zuckus. He is just evading the attacks and things, saying, you know, you can't sneak up on a gand, that sort of stuff, he often says. And the crew kind of are joining in, but are kind of leaving Zuckus to it as well. Zuckus does eventually manage to get close enough to Forlom to stun him. He stabs him in the chest cavity with an electrical device, and then while Forlom is stunned, Zuckus pulls his head off. He then slices into his head and manages to reprogram Forlom so he doesn't want to kill Zuckus anymore, and Forlom seems to be back to normal. So they then use Forlom to monitor transmissions over the last like while. It shows like a little bit of a time jump and they're just kind of waiting around, half falling asleep while waiting for some sort of important transmission to come through. And then they hear that Crimson Dawn is going to move. So they all get prepped and go and head for Crimson Dawn because they are aware that Crimson Dawn is trying to find Kedalia and Ta'onga is on this mission to try and save Kedalia, trying to do what Valance couldn't. And then the final panels of this comic show that someone contacts Dengar, tells him about the crew that are searching for Crimson Dawn, so he's told to go and get them. So he does. But be happy to know that he is with Manaru, his love interest. She's mentioned a few times in the Bounty Hunters comics. Um, Jabba had her imprisoned for a little bit, but fortunately they're together, seemingly happy, and Manaru was a major part in Star Wars Legends, especially with the saving of Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit from Legends. But obviously, Book of Boba Fett is very different because Dengar wasn't even in Book of Boba Fett, which is quite sad. But with that in mind, we move on from Bounty Hunters 20 to Dr. Afra number 18. So Afra 18 was written by Alyssa Wong. The artist is Minkyu Jung. The colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. It was released January 19th, 2022. The trade paperback collection should be released October 25th, 2022. And we've got another crawl for you. Rogue archaeologist Dr. Afra and smuggler Sana Staros have been put through their paces, from encounters with Crimson Dawn to being betrayed by Just Lucky and Ariel, to surviving an explosive brush with an ancient piece of ascendant technology called the Thought Dowser. Those two have been busy. And now, as if things weren't crazy enough, Afra's old frenemy, Ko Fon Farris, has returned. Ko plans to assemble as much ascendant tech as possible, but not if Afra has anything to say about it. I do love Alyssa Wong's crawls. I think they're some of the most fun to read out and definitely the most fun to read as a comic reader. They're quite fun and self-referencing, just like Afra is. But with that in mind, let's get into the plot of this comic. So it starts off with Just Lucky recalling Ariel talking about his love and their future together just before Just Lucky leaves. So that's before all of the events of um, the current run of Dr. Afra, the 2020 run by Alyssa Wong. It's before all those things and it's been hinted and mentioned that Just Lucky and Ariel were together at some point and this shows that yeah, Ariel was really into Just Lucky, wanted the whole future together and life together really and Just Lucky didn't want that and clearly leaves him. But present day, he's sat in a bar or a cantina speaking to a Twi'lek bartender, and he has one of the power rings. So there's specifically the Rings of Val, which were shown in the Rings of Fortune story. It was in episode 67 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and it was the first volume of the 2020 Afro Comics. So he's got one of these things. He kind of swiped it when Ronan Taig was heavily injured towards the end of that arc. And while he's speaking with this bartender, who's the female Twi'lek, 
he kind of recounts what happened on Jakara, which is where the auction for Han Solo happened, and that's where prior issues of Dr. Aphra had taken place. But it primarily followed what Aphra is doing. We only got bits and pieces of Just Lucky and Ariel, so here's a bit more. Just like he thought that while Ariel Yu was sort of knocked out, he was worried he may be dead or something worse. And he apologized for the way he's been treating Ariel, for leaving him without saying anything. And so in amidst that, you actually see that Ariel was actually awake because when Lucky looks away, Ariel opens his eyes just a smidge. So he does hear this uh, apology. And back to now, the bartender warns Just Lucky of the Tagues, especially because Ronan Taig is now looking for him after seeing the Ring of Power and things. And then it goes to what Aphra is doing. So you've got Aphra and Sarnastaros get to the artifact that they're looking for, or seem to be, but Kofaris has beat them there. They can't really figure out how because they've got this new contact as per the prior episode of Comics and Canon. I delved into it where they had a contact who had died, but no one knew he died. So they were using this contact to try and contact other people on the black market to try and see if anyone else has Ascendant Tech to try and beat Ko there. But they seemingly just keep on losing. They have no idea how. And then Sana mentions that Ko is familiar. And Afra says, well, yeah, we, we all went to university together. We went to University of Barleth. And Sana is like, wait, oh, oh, that that's that co but they were so nice and shy and afra says yeah but you know i, I ruin everything i touch so it's kind of part of it because that's the thing that sana's mentioned to afra before that's kind of like a running joke that anyone who gets uh intertwined with afra then just has their life ruined and they look around this crime scene where there's a stolen artifact and not much else apart from a lot of floating corpses which are unnerving sana Afra then goes up to one of them and shows that it's actually ascendant technology that's causing this. There's a little magnet or anti-grav little triangle thing that's just been plonked onto the corpse, which is making it all seem like they're not affected by gravity. So they then decide that they need to try and trick Ko. That's the only way they're going to get ahead of them. So they then head to a bar where a character called Baol is drinking alone. Now, Baol tried sending a Nile Path engine in volume two of Aphra. So obviously the first volume was the Rings of Fortune story. And the second one, I can't, I think it was called the Path Engine or something along those lines. But it's basically, he was trying to sell a Nile Path engine. Nile being from the High Republic and their Path Engines allowed them to travel through hyperspace in very interesting ways. I delve into that in a lot of my High Republic content. So I'm not going to delve into it here because it's not specifically relevant. But if you want to hear more, about that and I do delve into how the path engine works a bit more that's in episode 71 of Star Wars Comics and Canon so you can hear that whole kind of story but he is a guy who tried selling the Nile uh, path engine tech to the Empire and lots of other places and then Vakura got involved and then started taking hostages and all got very messy so Afra says to Bale, hey, why don't you give us a bit of money and we will not tell the person who's trying to hunt you, who's basically killing all of your other black market contacts who are involved in these sort of wares. We won't tell them about you. And in addition, you can put up a fake listing for us and in exchange, give us a bit of money and then you won't die. Bale doesn't seem happy about this, but then in the next scenes, it's pretty clear that he did just conform and do what they asked him to do. So Ko sees that fake listing and then goes and then it cuts to the middle of their interaction there where Afra starts just shooting at Ko. So while this is going on, Ko and Afra are talking and Ko is basically baited by Afra. Ko mentions the Spark Eternal and that's like a little clue as to what Ko is kind of building towards and gives Afra a little bit more information. But then Ko does manage to escape by using Ascendant Tech to throw some boxes at Afra and then manages to escape. In the midst of their escape, they were thinking about their translation. So Ko is a non-binary individual. I can't remember if I've mentioned that prior, but hence why calling them they and things. But they also were very intelligent and they've seemingly worked out to a degree this 
translation. It did a flashback to the University of Barleth where a teacher tried getting Afrasana and the whole class, including Ko, to do a translation of this ancient ascendant scripture. And it's not just a direct translation, it's also very poetic and things. So Ko is reciting this to themselves quite a lot over this issue as well. And Afra does kind of hear a bit of it. And after Afra hears this, she then realizes that the last piece of information they must need must be at the University of Barleth. So she says to Usana, that's where we're going. So that's where Afra 18 ends. So we move on to the kind of big part of this episode, which is Crimson Reign number two. So this is named The Assassins. There is no crawl, but it is written by Charles Saul. It is penciled by Stephen Cummings. The inker is Victor Olazaba. The color artist is Guru EFX. It was released February 2nd, 2022. Lots of twos there that I quite appreciate. Crimson Reign 2, February 2nd, 2022. And then the trade paperback collection of the Crimson Rain comics should be released August 30th, 2022. So I said there was no crawl, so let's delve right into the story. It starts with the Dathomirian Night Sister called Deathstick, who's one of the very few survivors of the Purge, which I'll get into shortly. And Deathstick is in a, basically a waiting room, waiting to speak with Kira. Then Ochi of Bestoon emerges from the room Deathstick is due to go in, and they have a bit of a back and forth, but they seem to be clashing a little bit. They're both assassins, but for vastly different reasons, and they clearly do not like or respect each other. Deathstick is eventually called into Kira's room and speaks with Kira, as well as Trista and Margot, Kira's two associates. Kira hands Deathstick a data card that has information about Cadalia on it, and says that they want Cadalia taken off the board. And there's your target, and go off and do it. So Deathstick leaves, and then... Kira speaks to Trista and to Margot and explains that there are three main reasons why people kill. It's either for faith, hope, or joy. Faith, you see an image of a Jedi, the kind of thinking that you're doing the right thing. The hope is more for bounty hunters and the group of Revengers, which are in the Darth Vader comics at the moment. Sort of hope that doing this will make your quality of life better. And then there's joy, and you see a picture of Darth Vader. People who just kill just because they enjoy the killing, in essence. And Kira goes on to say that if you know the reason why someone is killing, you can manipulate them. She says that Ochi kills because he is scared. He is just terrified of the world, and so he wants to kill people because every person he kills is one less person that can kill him. And while she's explaining Ochi and what kind of goes on in his mind, you see him heading to Coruscant with a new droid. And the droid that he's got is an ASN-909. And it's very, very similar to the ASN Coria droid. So Coria droid is what Zam Wessel used in Attack of the Clones. It flew up to Padme's bedroom, used the laser, and shot in those like caterpillar, poisonous millipede things. That is what a Coria droid is, so it has multiple uses. So he has one of those with him. And Kira also notes that Palpatine was the biggest monster that Ochi worked for. So that is why he did what he did, because in Ochi's mind, if you work for the biggest monster, in theory, that's one less person who's going to kill you and hopefully will offer some degree of protection. But then Deathstick is a different story. Deathstick is alone and in pain. She's one of the very few Night Sisters to evade Grievous's purge, the massacre of the Dathomirian Night Sisters. Now, that is in Series 4 of the Clone Wars, and I think Series 4 of the Clone Wars, especially the last half, is some of the strongest styles content that exists, and many people who've seen it agree. In Season 4, Episode 19, it's an episode called Massacre, and it's also referenced in Jedi Fallen Order as well, because there's a character in that that Cal Kestis meets, and she's also a Night Sister who evaded the purge. Basically, Palpatine said that Asajj was getting too strong, tried to get Dooku to kill her, failed. Asajj kept trying to kill Dooku, and eventually Dooku was like, right, let's get it at the source, let's just go kill all of these Dark Side Force users, and Grievous, you go do it with an army of droids. It's a brilliant, brilliant episode, but it is heart-wrenching just watching all of these sisters 
being murdered by Grievous and certain droids. So that happened. And you get to see a panel of that in this comic, but I do recommend people check out that episode of Clone Wars because it's phenomenal. And it just shows that, yeah, Deathstick is alone. And so Kira confirms to Deathstick, this is how she managed to manipulate her, that Palpatine ordered the massacre of her sisters. And if Deathstick helps Crimson Dawn, she will watch Palpatine fall. And that's how she's managed to get Deathstick on her side. So then it shows what Ochi and Deathstick are somewhat doing. So Ochi buys some very precisely timed poison that you can know to a T when someone is going to feel the effects of it, while Deathstick goes and finds Cadalia with the rebels hiding out on Penicia. And she reports it anonymously to the Empire. So Ochi sends his droid into this Imperial facility with some poison. It's on Coruscant and things, but the target that he's looking for is actually missing. Back to Deathstick, the Imperials appear at this rebel base and then start bombing them from space or orbit. Star Destroyers are just shooting down, destroying this rebel base. And you see Cadalia gets hidden away by Eura, which is Baylet Valance's sort of flame, and her partner. They run off to try and help and just tell Cadalia to stay put. And where Cadalia hides, Deathstick very shortly after finds her. Back to Oji, he locates and manages to find his target, and so does his droid. And then it shows that from Ochi doing that, Palpatine goes into his main throne room where the variety of Imperial Royal Guards are. They are the guards that wear red. In the comics and in extended content, they are actually quite fearsome warriors. But the only times we ever seem to see them is when they're in the background in the original trilogy or when Yoda waves an arm and then you know KOs two of them when he fights Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith. But they are meant to be quite fearsome warriors. But they are the personal guard of Palpatine. They are some of the top ranking members of the Imperial Army that there are very special trained like spec ops almost top tier bodyguards and there's loads of them in this room like 12 or so and Palpatine walks into the room and before he can even get to the other side of the room they all just pass out and die in front of him. Palpatine is obviously very unhappy that all of his guards have just suddenly died in front of him. Back to Deathstick she manages to get Cadalia back to Kira alive. Kira then dismisses Deathstick and then speaks to Cadalia. She gets Cadalia out of the binders that she was wearing and introduces herself to Cadalia saying we're going to be good friends. And that is where Crimson Reign number two ends. So as you may have been able to see from these issues, the main issues of Crimson Reign is each of the plot lines and plans that Kira is doing. I believe the next one focuses on the Archivist, and the one after that focuses on the Knights of Ren. So it's very, very intriguing. The first issue of Crimson Reign kind of laid the groundwork for that, and each of the subsequent issues then go into each thread of her plan and how it's causing chaos throughout the Empire. But with that in mind, let's move on to the penultimate issue, Darth Vader number 20. So it's written by Greg Pak. The artist is Raphael Ienko. The colour artist is Alex Sinclair. It was released February 9th, 2022. The trade paperback collection is due to come out October 18th, 2022. And here is the crawl. While Darth Vader begins his mission to eliminate all of Crimson Dawn, Sabe, the handmaiden of the Queen, is on the hunt for Lord Vader. Vader, with Ochi of Bestoon and Valance at his side, has uncovered that Crimson Dawn's reach is far greater than expected. Crimson Dawn is all across the galaxy. So the comic starts with Sabe on Polis Massa, which is an asteroid which I remember from Battlefront 2 actually, the PlayStation 2 version, but it is in Revenge of the Sith. Right at the end, it's where Luke and Leia are actually born. There's a medical facility on there, which is where Padme gave birth. Sabe sees a hologram of Padme saying there's still good in him, and then she sees Z67 on the floor. She manages to revive him with some help of some mouse droids and resets his loyalties so they are to her instead of to Vader because obviously Vader had it so he was programmed to kill Sabe. 
She is told that Padme had a son with Anakin Skywalker, and then Sabe is confused by this, and is confused by Vader's motives, trying to work out what's going on. And then decides that Sabe wants to try and use Vader to her advantage instead of trying to kill him. Now Sabe, I think I've said this before, but just as a reminder, she was basically the character that Kira Knightley played in The Phantom Menace. She is one of the handmaidens of Padme Amidala, or the Queen, and she played as a decoy a lot of the time when there were certain assassination attempts or the Queen was in danger. So she's one of the closest people to Padme amidst the Naboo handmaidens. And if you want more information on her, then there's the Queen's Trilogy by E.K. Johnston. It's all about the Handmaidens and Sabe and lots of other characters, including Baru Lars is also a part of one of the stories too. So lots of cool things there if you want to go read the Queen's Trilogy of books. But anyway, Sabe was on Polis Massa. That was about three weeks ago. So now in modern times, she's actually shown that in the previous issue of Darth Vader, when you had Valance, Ochi and Vader entering a Crimson Dawn headquarters or sub-headquarters, and they managed to go into a system and get some information on Crimson Dawn, as they go in there, they're chasing someone. Ochi tries to shoot at someone and fails, and this individual manages to escape. It's shown that that individual from the previous issue is Sabe. So she actually left a plant of list of Crimson Dawn names specifically there before Vader got there just so Vader would get it. So Vader and the crew then leave and she comments to herself that they bit. Clearly that it worked, the planted list of Crimson Dawn names has worked. So then in Palpatine's palace on Coruscant, you've got a variety of individuals. You've got quoted the heroes, which is the Revengers, which is the weak way, the Trandoshan and the human who are quite self-righteous, you know, trying to fight back Crimson Dawn because their loved ones and families were killed by Crimson Dawn associates. Then you've also got G90 and Valance, as well as these heroes, on one mission, while the assassins are on another mission. G90 is the giant ball assassin droid thing. It's like a giant BB-8 kind of thing, but can talk basic. And then the assassins are associated with Ochi Bestoon. So they go off on their separate missions. Now, Valance does comment before they go off that he is suspicious of this list of Crimson Dawn associates. And Ochi confirms that the assassins actually validated at least half of it. And Valance is like, yeah, but I don't trust you or your assassins. That means nothing to me. Then it shows that Vader enters Palpatine's throne room and then just starts killing advisors and royal guards and other Crimson Dawn infiltrators left and right. There's a bit of a tussle, but Vader obviously comes out on top. And then it also shows that on Vader's flagship, the Executor, or the Executor, depending on how you want to pronounce it, on the Star Destroyer you get to see in Return of the Jedi, it crashes into the Death Star 2. On that ship, a shootout occurs because some troopers and some Imperial officers are killed by some assassins who have snuck on board this Star Destroyer. Meanwhile, the Revengers slash heroes confront a rich Baron who surrenders trying to prove that he's not part of Crimson Dawn in any way, but he shows a creature that he has called a Narglatch. Now, a Narglatch is a big cat. They are native from Naboo or Auto Platoonia. They're in the Clone Wars episode called Trespass, which is in Series 1, Episode 15. And then also there's a few episodes from there which has a Republic gunship which has a painting of a Narglatch on it. In Legends was actually where uh, Narglash was first seen in an episode one game called Gungan Frontier. But they weren't in Legends a huge amount, but and they are in canon a fair amount due to them being in Clone Wars and then being mentioned in passing throughout the canon in a fair amount of books. But it's a massive, massive cat, like way bigger than a tiger. It's kind of like almost the size of an elephant, if not bigger, but like a tiger. So it's pretty terrifying. So when the Baron reveals this Narglatch and says, look, I've got nothing to hide, I'm not part of Crimson Dawn, the Revengers see some prisoners who are calling out for help, some human prisoners calling out to, for anyone to try and help them. So they decide to fight the Baron and hold him at gunpoint. Back to the throne room where Vader just killed loads of Palps advisors. I keep saying Palps, it's Palpatine, but I like calling him Palps because it humours me. 
But um, Palpatine confirms to Vader that only one of the people he killed was actually in Crimson Dawn. And Palpatine says that the list must be flawed. And surely, Vader, you knew this list must be flawed. And Vader says, look, I'm just trying to do what you told me to do. I'm trying to purge Crimson Dawn, basically. And then Palpatine just walks away. So back to the Baron. The heroes, Revengers, manage to kill the Baron and then save those people who are imprisoned. Vader then talks to Ochi of Bestoon and confirms that the list was planted. So they need to investigate it even further, find out who planted the list. And to do that, you need to connect the dots of all the people on the list and for what reason someone would want them all killed. Ochi then goes off and talks to Sly Moore, who is an Umbaran, who's been in the prequels and also was in prior issues of these Vader comics. And Ochi somewhat accuses her of planting the list and she says, I didn't plant the list, but if I did, you would be on it. But then Sabe enters, electrocutes both of them, and they are on the floor somewhat incapacitated, and she says that she will reveal the true list to Darth Vader if they do not do what she says. And the true list of Crimson Dawn associates includes Slymore and Ochi of Bestoon, so they need to do what she says. And that is where Darth Vader 20 ends. All in this conspiratorial thing. Like, I really, like these Vader comics are really cool. There's, there was a couple of naff issues. But it's very interesting, this whole Crimson Rain thing. It's kind of Game of Thronesy, which is ironic considering Kira is obviously the character Amelia Clark played in Solo, a Star Wars story, and she was obviously Daenerys in Game of Thrones. But it's very interesting that there's what Crimson Rain is becoming is creating chaos, is what Crimson Dawn's kind of mission statement is. That's what they're trying to do. So they're creating chaos across the Empire, and Vader's trying to somewhat fight it in certain ways. But there's more to his side than one would expect, while Ochi is playing both sides, while Palpatine is trying to have control of things without trying to look like everything's out of control. It's all just a really cleverly written, massive story. So I'm really enjoying it so far. And the Vader parts of Crimson Reign are some of the most interesting. Like the Afro comics are really cool, but as of yet, they do not connect with Crimson Reign. They will as we get towards the end of them, and they're going to connect with Hidden Empire. But the Vader comics, especially, I love. Also, Valance in it, and I'm a simp for Valance. Yeah, Bailot Valance is one of my favourite characters in and out of comics. But with those opinions and thoughts aside, we move on to the final comic of the second volume of Crimson Reign, and that is Star Wars 21. It's written by Charles Saul. There are two artists on this, Marco Castillo and Ramon Rosanas, and the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. Stars 21 was released March 2nd, 2022, and the trade paperback collection is due to be out September 13th, 2022. So let's get on the final crawl, and it is a very short one. While our heroes desperately search for ways to topple the Empire, one of the Rebellion's bravest members has infiltrated the Tarkin's will. So it starts off, you see a stormtrooper sending some sort of encrypted message, walking down a corridor and then is stopped by an Imperial officer. Due to the stormtrooper being in a place they somewhat shouldn't be and also their armour is fairly heavily damaged, there's a confrontation between them but the stormtrooper does eventually manage to talk themselves out of it and get away, but the Imperial officer says they're going to write them up. The Stormtrooper then gets to some sort of hiding spot and it's shown that it is Shara Bay, who is Poe Dameron's mum, and Poe at this point is only a couple years old. But from the prior episodes of the Star Wars comics, Shara Bay got trapped on the Star Destroyer the Tarkin's Will a few issues ago and has been surviving ever since. Then it shows that Kez Dameron, unsurprisingly Poe Dameron's dad, is with the Rebel fleet and they receive another message from Shara. Kez is angry at Mon Mothma and the rest of the Rebellion leaders for not authorising her rescue because he's obviously missing his wife and getting very worried about her. But they let him have the message and then he goes and listens to it. So her message recounts how she survived. Parts of the ship of the Star Destroyer, the Tarkin's Will, are not operational as in their senses are gone and everything's been abandoned because it was damaged by some debris from the first Death Star. 
And when this occurred and there were people died, people have just been left there, corpses, to apparently try and remind people of the tragedy that occurred due to the rebels. Because everyone on the Tarkin's wheel Star Destroyer under the command of Zara all lost someone in the Death Star explosion. Because obviously there were, I think, millions of people on the Death Star, or at least hundreds of thousands, or minimum tens of thousands, but there was a lot of people on that Death Star. So everyone on the Star Destroyer Tarkin's wheel knew someone who died, so it's especially personal to them. But because of them keeping the ship the way it kind of is to keep morale going and remind them why they're in the Empire and stuff, it means that there are supplies that have been abandoned, there's armour, weapons, and because there aren't any sensors or anything, Shara Bay has managed to kind of go in and out of certain areas without anyone detecting her. Shara does, however, suspect that she is going to get caught very soon because realistically the only reason she hasn't been caught thus far is mainly luck. And then it shows that Commander Zara is piecing some anomalies together with one of her high-ranking Imperial officers, thinking about, you know, there was a certain amount of ships that were in this firefight before, and one of them got destroyed, but then it seemed like they left with two of them missing, so maybe there was a ship that was missing, plus there's some weird transmissions going on, encrypted messages, and nothing really seems to line up, but Zara thinks there's something... Zara then gets a report, and the report is from the disgruntled Imperial officer from the start of this comic, saying that there was someone who was basically not listening to orders, and was in weird places, and their arm was damaged, and Zara thinks this must be a hidden rebel on our ship, that's who we need to go after, let's begin the hunt. And then it goes back to Shara's message to Kez that shows that she plans to damage a ship by tweaking with it, like uh, pulling out a couple of pieces out of its uh, mechanics, and then leaving it someone will go to it and realize it needs some maintenance so we get moved to the maintenance bay in the maintenance bay there's a lot less security and a lot less weapons aimed at it so she should in theory be able to get on a lambda class shuttle and fly away and once out of range use its hyperdrive engine and go back to the rebel fleet so that's her general plan and she even says that by the time that kez hears the message he may even see her come out of hyperspace to where they are he looks out into space and then there's several panels of just empty space it seems to confirm that Sharabay is not going to make an appearance. So it shows what Sharabay tried to do with her plan, and she does the plan, she seems to succeed, she gets onto the Lambda class shuttle by herself, is about to start it all up, and then hears a voice saying, do you really think it'd be this easy? Turns around and it's Commander Zara in full battle gear. Zara does comment that she is very impressed with what Shara managed to do over the last few weeks surviving in this place, but obviously Zara still bested her. They have a bit of a fight, but Zara has the upper hand the entire time, and she's to very easily overpower Shara Bay, and then stabs her in the stomach with a knife or blade. You see a bit of blood come out, and Shara spits out a bit of blood from her mouth. Very, very cool artwork in this issue, but it is pretty intense. And then it goes back to the Rebel fleet and shows that Kez doesn't want to wait any longer. So he assembles members of the Pathfinders as well as certain members of Starlight Squadron to go and rescue Shara Bay. There's several members of this, but it does include Lulo Lampar and Ivan Verlaine. Ivan Verlaine was in the Princess Leia miniseries comics. And Lulo Lampar was in the Poe Dameron comics as well. So he's quite a major part of the Dameron's family dynamic. But Kez is saying, look, Mothma has specifically told me not to do this, but I can't wait any longer. I need to go and save my wife are you with me? They all say yes. And so that is where Star Wars 21 ends. So my friends, that is the end of Crimson Rain Volume 2. There are going to be five volumes of this in total. I'm hoping to get it all finished before Hidden Empire comes out and then I can somewhat try and keep up to date with Hidden Empire so that it gets released a bit more sharpish. And 
Obviously, if you haven't tuned into other episodes of Styles Comics and Canon, I've tackled a huge amount of things. The best thing to do is to go over to YouTube. Uh, the link to my YouTube channel is in the description. It is the Genuine Chit Chat YouTube channel, but I upload episodes of Genuine Chit Chat and also Styles Comics and Canon in there. There's playlists for every episode of Styles Comics and Canon. If you want to just hear every episode with Vader or every episode with Afro, or you just want to hear sequel trilogy stuff, or you want to hear just bio information on certain characters, like you want to know the history of Darth Maul and Count Dooku and people like that, there's even an age of slash character bio play list as well as obviously one for the war of the bounty hunters so you can go refresh your memory on those or with these obviously crimson ring uh, comics and things so if you want to just expand your star wars knowledge even further than you already are please go check out some of those episodes and also in the star wars conversations playlist that is where you'll find conversations of mine with claudia gray Kevin scott paolo villanelli as well as other people just about star wars who aren't necessarily involved with creating star wars content you've got dominic pace who's in the mandalorian you've got alex and molly of star wars explained obviously very famous star wars youtubers lots of great conversations to do with star wars that are worth checking out and on that same beat please subscribe to my youtube channel and you can tune into lots of the other content on there as well a lot of it is not star wars related to clarify it's not all to do with star wars i have loads of conversations on there on genuine chit chat with people about a wide variety of things most recently it's been a conversation about buddhism and before that was speaking with an animator slash illustrator and before that was a conversation with one of the writers of spider-man miles morales so i've spoken to quite a few interesting people over my five years of genuine chit chat but even more so in just the last month it's been an absolute blast and so there are episodes every week so if you subscribe to the youtube channel you'll get stuff there and also started releasing a few uh, videos just a couple of youtube shorts of my puppy willow so if you want to see some cute puppy videos as well go check out my youtube channel link is in the description but what else have we got coming up? Well, I believe that next week I'm probably going to be tackling the Halicyon Legacy miniseries. So it's five issues, another anthology series. I'm doing a lot of those recently. And it is to promote the Galactic Star Cruiser, which is that thing at Disney that costs an absolute fortune to stay in this interactive hotel for like two or three days. I probably shouldn't keep saying it costs a fortune in case someone at Disney slash Lucasfilm was listening. Uh, but way to get around that, send me a discount code that I can give to my listeners and then I'll stop saying how expensive it is because it is very, very pricey. Um, but it's a really interesting set of comics it's basically like this family or a group of people are on this ship and then a part of them starts reminiscing about prior times the ship has been used it goes back to the high republic era uh, there's one episode there's one issue with hondo and Akka and lando in it loads of really cool connections to the wider skywalker saga and even to uh the high republic you've even got buri yaga who makes an appearance one of the best wookies in star wars wookie jedi who i love but I'm going to be tackling that next week, I think. Uh, the week after that, I may just do another batch of Crimson Rain, try and churn those out. I am still slowly reading Midnight Horizon, so I'm hoping to get that out soon. I'm in the last 20 minutes of the Shadow of the Sith audiobook as well, so I'm probably going to release a review for that. Haven't decided if that's going to be a Patreon exclusive or not. I might be nice and release it on this uh, very feed, but we'll find out when we get there. At some point, you'll just see it appear. Uh, and in addition to that, I've got other stuff coming up, so I know that the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries of comics, that will come to a close in the next month or so. I've got some more idw publishing comics so i've got uh, the ghosts of vader's castle which is the third of the vader's castle series then there's also clone wars battle tales and then i've also got the han solo and chewbacca ongoing series and i think the fifth issue of that got delivered to me in the last couple of days so i'll be tackling that at some point soon because i think that finishes off that story arc um, but yeah just general star wars comic-y stuff trying to keep up to date with everything but obviously it's tricky and there are quite a few series that have been coming out and obviously around october november time when the high republic phase two comes into full swing i'll be spending a decent amount of time tackling those things but that's what you can expect coming up on the show over the coming weeks and obviously i've already mentioned about genuine chit chat i think 
the next episode I'm releasing is all about dogs, talking about uh, Puppy Willow and Dave of Comics in Motion comes on the show. So lots of fun to be had there. It's nearly a two hour long conversation about dogs. So one that everyone can listen to. You don't need to know anything about anything to listen to a couple of people talk about dogs for a while. And then I've got more exciting stuff coming up. I've been on guest spots and things. So I recently recorded an episode of Back to the Filmography with I Am Jack's Musings. So I believe that's going to be on the feed of Comics Emotion. So if you're on a podcast app at the moment, uh, then you are listening to the feed of Comics Emotion. It will be where you're listening to right now. And it's going to be about the film Collateral. And it's starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. And we're, it's part of the Back to the Filmography Jason Statham runs. So every film that Jason Statham has been credited in and myself and Megan talk about that movie and Jason Statham's uh, interesting role in that film, shall we say. In addition to that, I recently recorded an episode of Femme on Film with the powerful Rhea Carrigan and Rhea also her episodes air on Comics in Motion as well. So obviously, if you're listening on YouTube, thank you so much for supporting my YouTube channel. But there's loads of cool content on the feed of Comics in Motion on any podcast app on Spotify, anywhere like that. But Femme on Film is focusing on films that have been somewhat not appreciated by critics or the public and often it's when they're made by female directors or writers or a mainly female cast or crew and so Rhea likes to try and break those down and talk about them and myself and Megan spoke about Marie Antoinette which is a film of Kirsten Dunst directed by Sofia Coppola and we'd not seen it before so that episode will be coming out I think in the next month or so um, but that will be out soon so make sure you look out for that and also I was recently on an episode of Spider-Dan and the Secret Balls and we spoke about the Carnage crossover events maximum carnage and absolute carnage and we compare those and also talk about the venom let there be carnage movie and how all of the different interpretations of carnage like how they line up to each other basically that's all i can talk about for the moment i've got a few podcast recordings coming up i've got a couple of more guest spots and things so lots of fun there and just make sure you follow me on social media at genuine chit chat to keep up to date with styles comics and canon you get to see i post photos of the comic covers in that as well as a few panels that i quite like or a couple of pages nothing really spoilery but just so you get a bit of a preview as it were of some of these comics and i also release snippets of my conversations of genuine chit chat it's only 30 to 60 second snippets with a, some nice artwork i create and i've just give you a preview of the kind of conversation I've been having. So if you want to have a preview of the conversation with Radhika Rao, who is the Buddhist I spoke about, or with Mandy Wong, the animator, or with Mary Kenny, the individual who is a key writer of Star Wars Miles Morales, all of those individuals, if you go to my genuine chit chat, either on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter, you can listen to a snippet of my conversation with those. And with those snippets, I also always include a link to the conversation so you can always find it yourself. So I think that's generally everything for me, aside from saying, please check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. For as little as one pound a month, you get access to a whole new audio feed that is not found anywhere else there's star wars book reviews on there some canon some legends that aren't found elsewhere there's also a couple of comic reviews of some batman comics and things i'm planning on doing more when i read some more non-star wars comics when i get a bit of free time in addition to that myself and megan review tv shows and movies we've done all the star wars movies bar rise of skywalker so we're gonna have to re-watch that at some point soon and do an afterthoughts on that we've done all the harry potter films apart from definitely hallows part two which we'll be doing very soon we're doing a tom hanks watch so we're watching films of tom hanks from big big turner on hooch joe versus the volcano and we we've just done philadelphia and forrest gump so there are some cool things to listen to there also myself and megan have recently done episodes on our trip to the isle of Wight. we went to malta and lots of other things like that so if you want to hear about mine and megan's life and also our movie reviews a lot of people hear us talk love our banter and just hearing what me and megan are like you know in our normal everyday stuff because she does put me in my place i need it sometimes but it's a lot of fun so if you want to do all of those things hear all that additional content 
content as well as there's other stuff on there i post a few pictures of the dog and there's a video or two on there that you can't find anywhere else of the dog and also a tortoise so there's exclusive content on there there's an rss feed you can put into the podcast player of your choice or you can just listen on the app or desktop site of patreon itself loads of additional content you're supporting the show why are you not doing it? Go over there. Please support me. It means the absolute world to me that we've got so many Patreon supporters and it's becoming a nice little community. And I'm always getting nice messages from them saying how much they enjoy the episodes uh, that I've been releasing on there. So please check that out. Hours and hours of additional content. There's over 100 episodes of Afterthoughts on that feed already. So you could, even if you wanted to be a little schneep, you could go in there, pay a quid, and then just blast the whole catalogue in a month or two. You can do that. I'd be okay with that. But go check it out. If you are still a little bit unsure, check out the link in the description, bit.ly slash TomHanks1, and it's mine and Megan's first watch of the Tom Hanks rewatch that we're doing, and we started with Big. So that's enough from me, my friends. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. I'll talk to you next Saturday, and as always, may the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.